Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and welcome back to episode 112 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. And thanks so much to our Patreon supporters for helping keep this podcast ad free. So today I'm excited to be joined by Craig Gruenhagen, winner of the Take the Black Day One event at Simon's organized U.S. Nationals event, as well as Brett Lamfer, winner of the second day, the U.S. National Championship Tournament. So first on, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And Brett, welcome back. <laughs> hey, always good to be here. So you guys both must be pretty feeling pretty good about things. You know, have you guys caught up on your sleep? No, not at all. I ended up getting back into town at 5 a.m. We got called into work at 7. Oh, my God. All right. So you traveled a, a bit of a ways to get there? A, a little bit, yeah. You know, I was watching a thing about competitive chess players, and it was like grandmasters in a tournament will burn like 6,000 calories. So it's just like that's the amount of like mental exhaustion uh brett how are you feeling after uh, that that second day tournament uh yeah i definitely slept in i went home um you know uh, just spent a little bit of time with uh the wife and the baby and we we stayed up a little bit late but i slept in until like 11 today so <laughs> i got i got caught up on sleep i don't have it as bad as craig but i'm definitely feeling still some of that mental fatigue like i haven't even thought about picking up dice or look looking into any list building or anything like that i've i've had to give myself a break from it that uh, typically i take about a week off yeah that that sounds about right you did just put in like a, a a vast amount of hours so i think that's fair to say but you know so it's been a while since we've actually talked about you know the results of a us national championship event uh, i think the last one was in 2019 at pax unplug uh, obviously that was a great one it was a blast and and it was a, a great environment it's kind of a convention setting though so there's like people coming over and like talking to you and asking questions during your game about like what is this game and like trying to touch your dice and stuff so this year you know people obviously a little bit more hesitant about convention settings so it worked out pretty well that this was at family time games and that they were able to host this event craig had you been to uh, family time games before yeah i went there last year when they did the gen con replacement tournament uh this past spring when they did the adepticon replacement tournament and i believe two other tournaments as well so you're you're somewhat of a familiar with that that landscape then. So what was the atmosphere like at this day one uh, Take the Black event that you had so much success at? Uh, it was actually uh, really friendly. Um, a lot of fun, fun people to talk to. It was laid back in some ways in that everyone was polite, laughing, having fun. But it was also intense because no one wanted to lose. It wasn't <laughs> the day two nationals tournament, but it People were still taking it serious. So sometimes with events like this, there can be a little bit of like uh, nervous energy or just that sort of tension leading into it. Like, how do you generally prepare for events like this? Do you have any like rituals or, or things you do leading up to an event? Yeah, so I actually uh, like drive, like whenever we do local events, I don't do as well because I can't do my ritual. I like I like the long drive. Um, I listen to podcasts, even if I've heard it before, just to keep things fresh in my mind. Um, I get to the hotel. I could fall asleep to the podcast, wake up the next morning, have to have steak and eggs. It has to be. If I eat anything else, I <laughs> Nice. Lose. Breakfast of champions. So, absolutely. And, and Brett, how about you? You've done a lot of tournaments as well. Is that same thing? You get you nice, relaxing podcast, get a full night's sleep, hearty breakfast. Is that is that uh, your approach? Yeah, I, it's definitely a real thing. Um, I'm a little bit different than Craig. <laughs> um, I listen to some podcasts. I generally go back and 
kind of review some notes. I theory craft like um, what lists I'm expecting to see. I think about um, recent tournament winners and what they've run, you know, what's kind of winning right now. Some things that people might bring to kind of throw you off. So just like Craig, I listen, I read, I do a little bit of research. Then I try to calm down and uh, get some sleep the night before. And for me, it's not steak and eggs. I have to have pancakes uh, before every event. It has to be pancakes. It's been my thing since Gen Con 2019. And uh, I don't eat pancakes very often. So it's generally it's generally reserved for like these tournaments because I, I just don't I just don't eat them very often. But it, it's it's a thing. It's just what I feel like doing on those on those tournament days. And I haven't missed a pancake breakfast at any tournament. Well, so now we know all the people listening that uh, that want to take a shot at Craig and Brett. The best way to do this is to organize a tournament event somewhere where they can't get their their, their morning rituals here. Right. You got to scour the air and make sure no like pancakes or steak and eggs available. <laughs> and uh, you know, throw them off here, right? For the super competitive. That would work. It would, yeah, I think it would work. Yeah, even when I went to Gamers Haven, you know, Bob Omer, he was a, a little bit annoyed. He was like, well, I, I was going to make breakfast. I was like, no, I have to go. I have to go somewhere and I have to have pancakes. But I, I can make you pancakes. It's not the same, Bob. Is that, did you demand to... that? Is that like your rider? You're like, I need a trailer and it needs to have pancakes. <laughs> like, yep. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, Craig, on this first day, take the black. So, you know, it's a kind of a competitive vibe, right? Everyone there really wants to win. People being friendly, and you roll up, and you're playing Targaryens. Now, how did you how did you settle on playing Targaryens for your faction? Is this the faction that you've been playing for a long time? What kind of drove you to this this uh, particular force? Uh, yes and no, as far as playing it for a long time. Um, I bought them when they first came out because my play style is all about speed and movement shenanigans. That's all I want to do. Um, if I can do that, I feel fairly comfortable that I can win a game. So I was a Stark player since the game dropped and I bought the Targaryens when they came out. I really wanted them to work in the last edition, but I couldn't quite get it. You know, I don't know what it was, but I couldn't quite make them work to the level of Starks. So I stuck with Starks. But as soon as 1.7 or 2021 dropped, then the Starks were no longer that movement shenanigan. I mean, they still have those things, mm -hmm. but not at the level that the Targaryens do. And that's that's why I switched. So so how did you know the 2021 update maybe impact your list building with Targaryens? Are you running you know vastly different lists here, or is it just that you know with the update the things that you like to run or that you have been running kind of just fit a little bit better? Uh, yeah, I'm essentially running the same list I did before, but they just work better now. That's fantastic. So so what were you actually running then for this uh, list? What'd you bring as your two lists? Um, so I brought. Drogo and Flaidmen, two units of Outriders with no attachments, a unit of Screamers, a unit of Hackers or Hrakars or however you say it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Illyrio and uh, Barrison Selmy. And I had two different Grey Worm lists, depending on which day it was for my second list, but they never were never really in consideration to be ran. So. so you got a few things that you're doing interesting with that list, and I'd love. So I'm just starting to kind of experiment with Targaryens, having played mostly Free Folk. Um, so two things that stand out to me here is your run uh, Rakars or Rackers, uh, and then you're running two NCU. So maybe we'll start with the 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 Rakars first. And, and what what's the how are you making those work for you? Well, like how are you incorporating those into your list? I will say this: uh, they died every game. Okay, <laughs> but I will also say that on day one of the tournament. 
instead of being four and oh, I may have been one and three without. Them. Really? Okay. So, yes. what, what, so how are you? They're dying off. So, and you, and that's sort of just going to happen. They're kind of like a cruise missile, I guess. Yes. How how do you utilize them? How do you find success for you know uh, maybe people don't have a lot of experience with them? Well, the first thing is it's a mind game. So most opponents that I saw this weekend had one, maybe two cavalry units, right? So if you deploy your harackers last or put them in outflank, either one, then your opponent is going to hold that cavalry unit in reserve, hmm. um, at, le- at least during deployment. And then if you don't deploy the harackers, then they have to put a, the, that cavalry unit in reserve uh, until you drop your harackers, which that cavalry unit is the only thing that can catch me and it's sitting in the backfield. Interesting. That's like a, like a kind of like an, a value that's maybe not at first appearance when you look at like just the stats of the unit, get the mind games going. Right. And as far as actually uh, using them in the game, if I outflank them, what I will do is I'll try to get a shot at the rear of the enemy commander if I can, especially if I'm engaged with that, with a different unit um, in these scenarios like uh, Dance of Dragons. Yep. Because then they just hand me the token. And after that, I don't care what happens to the Hackars. Their panic test was negative four. They hand my stronger unit the token and I score. Hmm. So you ran this list on all three, uh, you know, all of the game modes that you played. Yeah. So just it was kind of like an all comers list for you, essentially. Yes, it was. Hmm. Brett, now you've often sung the praises of the Hackars as well. Have you, you know, anything you would want to add on to that or ways that you use them? No, I, I think Craig's got the general idea. You don't always have to outflank them. Now you can. One big part of list building, I kind of alluded to it earlier, is doing a little bit of research. And if you use a tool like A Song of Ice and Fire Stats, or if you use the trackers that Simon's starting to put in place, you can kind of get an idea and you can start to see like, well, is cavalry in every list? Well, it's not always. Sometimes Lannisters like to run five infantry. Sometimes Baratheons like to run all infantry. You don't always see cavalry. So if they don't have a cavalry unit and you outflank, so let's say you're, you obviously you outflank off of the maneuver zone. If they're an all infantry army, they have no way to turn around and face you mm-hmm. because swift reposition for an infantry unit, when you don't control the maneuver zone, it doesn't allow you to do a, moon, a maneuver. It's right. just a shift. Watcher on the wall, you have to attack something before they could turn around to face you. So you can control that. That means they have to spend their infantry units activation to turn around to face you unless they want the Hrakars in their rear, which you really don't. So yes, they can just turn around and face the Hrakars and, and then you say, well, now you're not charging me in the rear, so that's fine. No, that's fine with me because I am on your side of the field and you're faced to the rest of my army. So then you've got a really fast unit like the Outriders. You can potentially then shoot that unit in the rear. The Harakars don't really care about that because they're morale four. So there's a couple of things that you can do with them. But besides that, a lot of this game hinges on tempo. It hinges on, you know, I've got the first turn. This is what I'm doing. My cavalry unit's coming in. I've got them in position. Coming in uh, like a then, train, right? Exactly. And then another <laughs> another element of the game is that it's that mobility and the ability to be where you want to be now if you can take their cavalry out of the game even if like craig said it's just for one or two rounds if you tie them up with the harakars they're eventually going to have to kill them but how much have they lost in the tempo of the game right when the rest of your army is circling around them because there's no cavalry to keep them in check so that's what the harakars are they they're they're a very very good tool they're just a tool they have a nice attack profile. They can do damage. But you don't have to just YOLO charge the Harakars into the front of something. You use them to scare because they have that innate vicious and their attack profile is pretty solid. It stays at six hitting on these. It doesn't ever dis- uh, diminish. And they're fast. Their movement mm-hmm. six. They've got the free cavalry maneuver. You can put them where you want to put them. Wait. 
send them in when you need to send them in. Or like Craig said, you sacrifice them and that's fine. Some And you're still tying up another unit, right? I mean, it's uh, your five point unit might be tying up a cavalry unit of greater value. I like exactly. this idea of how it's really forcing their their cav unit to now play a different game. Yeah. And then if, if you think like Flagman, for example, they have seven attack dice they're hitting on threes. They should score maybe four hits. The Hrakars mm-hmm. are a four plus defense. They should block half of those. Now the panic becomes a 50-50 because of intimidating presence. But mm-hmm. if it's anything other than Flayedman, even Knights of Castle Rock with their Sundering, they're actually, it's going to take more attacks than you think to get rid of those Harakars because you didn't charge them. And the Harakars have the speed and the tempo to charge you. It can actually be pretty problematic. With some good dice on the Targaryen player, some weakened tokens, which can make the Harakars even more survivable, and things like this, which, by the way, Illyrio puts a weakened token if he heals a unit that's engaged. So you can actually really tie something up with those Harakars for an incredibly long time if it's weakened potentially the whole game if you put those resources into the Harakars. Now, Craig, in this list as well, you're running Mopathis and Barristan Selmy, the advisor of the dragon. Uh, you're running two NCUs there. Is that something you typically do or, or what maybe motivated you to make that call? Was it just because you need to take those points and actually have them on the battlefield? You know, why two and, and why those two? Uh, in 1.6, I ran exclusively three. But when things change, when the game modes change and I switch factions now, I actually struggle with three, but I find that when I bring two, if I have the right two, and my opponent brings three, I find myself to be at a significant advantage on the battlefield, especially with all my speed. I can already pick my fight, but they're also playing with five, four or five less points than I am. Um, with my list, um, aside from two cards, I don't need any zones, any particular zones for my cards or my units to be effective. So I can get away with two NCUs a lot easier because uh, I can use them more as a control factor than as a, uh, as a, I need to have the crown or I need to have the bags type of thing. That's interesting. I guess that's a big change from trying to remember now my Targaryen or my Caldrogo deck. He used to rely on the the attack zone, right? Yes. So now it's really you're just you got swift position, uh, swift reposition, sorry, and fire and blood as your maneuver zone cards in the tactics deck. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Actually, you really aren't beholden them as much. And I guess not, in, not at all. with Targaryens too, you know, those extra points can give you something that's incredibly mobile that's going to be able to get out there. I guess in this case, Outriders, to, to reach out and hit somebody or to you know be flanking and doing damage. Hmm. I'll have to experiment with that. Like I said, I'm still trying to find my way through Targaryen, but I think I'll try running more two NCU lists and see if that makes a big difference, especially when you're going like cavalry heavy like this. Hmm. And then uh, what Selmy does is, you know, he, he blocks an effect or tactics. I anticipated to see things like the Night's Watch, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So... What he does is he allows me to bypass those effects that are really problematic for me and still get in the charge that I want or need. For this list, are there any particular factions that you feel like it plays really well into? Uh, well, uh, Night's Watch because of Selmy, but in addition, uh, Lannisters, who are also very popular, uh, they have a lot of really good synergies right now. And Red Cloaks are in almost every Lannister list, at least they were this weekend. Um, however, the entirety of the ar- army is a five-up morale or better. Uh-huh. And what that does is is that even, and usually I can stay away from Stormcloaks, but even if they do hit me with those panic tests, uh, um, I'm only at an eight if I haven't already knocked off a rank with Outriders. So I still have an okay chance to pass it. Um, if I am, if, if they're down a rank, I'm at a seven, which is... 50-50. So I can really tank a lot of their damage out and nullify it just by having such a high morale. I know Red Cloaks 
can cause uh, some trepidation in a lot of players. So that's a good way to kind of to tech against it. And, you know, it kind of shows how you're talking about, like, planning your list to counter the potential meta or things that you, you're pretty much guaranteed to see. Absolutely. And one more thing I'll do with the list, which might sound weird to people, but in that, the Adravat is in the, in the deck, which if you kill a unit with the card on, it gives you an extra VP. I actually never played it the entire weekend in its intended usage. Its second effect is draw a card. I would constantly use it to cycle my deck, and I did the same thing with lead by example. So I, was con- I constantly had four cards that I could just cycle out into something else, which led to me getting through my deck so much faster. I almost always had the card I needed at the time I needed it because of that. Wow, that makes so the sense. The tutors itself. Yeah. Now, there are some lists that have been talked about being like particularly potent. And I know a lot of times uh, this Night's Watch kind of builder crossbow man list with um, conscripts comes up. Uh, is that something you ended up seeing in the tournament? Uh, I did not see it, but I was, believe it or not, secretly hoping to because I tailored this list to counter that, although it might not be apparent on paper. Yeah. So talk us to it because that's what I was I was thinking, like, is this what this list was for? And um, so how, how does this list play out that if you did face that, it would maybe excel? OK, so um, in order to compete with that list in my at least for me, I want to get you spinning. Um, I need you facing three different directions. And if I do that, then I have a chance. This list is fast enough to make that happen. For example, let's say I drop Harakars behind them. Well, they'll use their their captain to turn around and face. Me. And yeah, if I don't respond immediately, they will kill me. But that's one less nine dice hitting on two shot that they're pouring into the rest of my army. Mm-hmm. And I won't do it until I can respond to it. So it, what I do is I just circle them. I don't let them get multiple shots off. Um, I'll put Selmy on a crossbow unit and then charge them with Drogo and pop Selmy's ability so they don't shoot me on the way in. And if they do shoot me on the way in, I'm saving on fours, which isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. And then I'll kill the watch captain and then I'll <laughs> move on to the next target. Yep. Now you worried about and, like the conscripts. Is that do the Harkars try and target that? Like, do you typically try to, to, to isolate that unit first or are you just you yeah. know plowing through those those uh, crossbowmen with your, your flayed men? Uh, whatever's available. Yep. Um, I, I try to make my opponent spin and then just pick whatever target's open. And once I get one, I can usually snowball it with Was overrun there- and stuff like that. That's fantastic. Was there a particular matchup you had that was, uh, you know, particularly challenging that you were like kind of sweating through like, oh, man, like this is this is really hard for my list to to, to face. Yes. Starks. Starks. OK. And how so? They are fast. Uh, so Starks have some of the movement shenanigans. They have swift reposition, which, you know, allows them to. So if I drop rockers behind them, even if their cavalry isn't anywhere near there, they can just spin around and then charge me anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Um, I try to play with this list. A good parameter of success for me is if I'm playing the majority of the game on my opponent's side of the table. If I'm mm. doing that, I know I've gotten spinning. I'm in their flanks. I'm in their rear. And they're not playing the scenario anymore. They're trying to survive. But when I faced Starks this weekend, uh, he had flayed men, holy calf, shaggy dog. I played the majority of the table on or the majority of the game on my side of the table. And I ran out of room to maneuver fast. You know, there's only so far you can back up and run. Tully Cav are incredibly problematic. Yeah. <laughs> or my list with that Sundering, you know, my save drops significantly. Um, so I'm saving on sixes. He's saving on three still because I don't have Sundering. He pretty, they pretty much ignore uh, the Flayed Men's uh, intimidating presence because they've got a five-up morale, essentially. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were a problem. What I ended up doing is just feeding the lions to them. 
and holding them in place for a couple rounds. So it sounds like the rock cars are really kind of the all-star flex piece in your your force here. Absolutely. Well, I'm definitely going to have to experiment more with them. This sounds like a, a fascinating list. And then how did your, your day go here? I mean, kind of spoiler, you came out on top. Um, how did your matches go overall? Uh, they they were they were pretty good. Um, the first match was a really weird one for me and that I was playing... Uh, it was uh, war- uh, Double Warrior Sons and Flayed Men and uh, uh, not Conscripts, Poor Fellows. And uh, it was Feast for Crows. And uh, <laughs> I lined my my Drogo Flayed Men right up in front of his, uh, his commander, which I think was uh, the High Sparrow. And he decided he was going to try to Alpha Strike me and charge me. He needed a two up. He rolled a one and landed on the token one inch away from Drogo. Activated <laughs> Drogo. So... <laughs> So I charged him, killed his commander, but he passed his panic test. Oh, that, that was at negative four. Um, he actually had his flayed men in reserve because I had deployed the Harakars off table. Mm-hmm. But when I dropped him on, I was able to place him just so that no matter what he did, he couldn't fit the flayed men in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally dropped him right in the middle of his army, but out of line of sight of everything. Oh, so frustrating. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah, so, so I, then I charged the rear of his uh, his unit holding the token and that panic test was at like negative five or something like that. And he failed that. So I handed the token to Drogo and then he blew, then once I moved, he blew up my Harakars. But I just sacrificed the entire rest of my army. I just kept suicide charging so that they couldn't get to Drogo and ended up winning that way. And that was the first time I've ever played it that way. Yep. Normally, I spread the whole table. This whole game happened in a quarter of the table. That's okay. No, uh, no, no other Dothraki will uh, will uh, turn a Drogo in on that one. No one will say anything. It's like he just spread the whole time running away. Like, come on, man. <laughs> he did too. Uh, the rest of the games were all um, fairly similar to each other in how they how they happened in that I deployed the same. I put outriders uh, along each table edge, screamers and Drogo in the middle, and then either Harakars off the table or uh, deployed them next to Drogo for a one-two punch. Hmm. And if they had cavalry, all the cavalry I faced was almost exclusively played men with the exception of the Brathians. Uh, all so he- my all, all that heavy cav. Interesting. Yeah. Well, my screamers are faster. Yep. And less points. So I would just suicide charge them into the flayed men. And keep healing with Ilario, which kept putting weakened tokens on their flayed men. So I would eventually lose the unit, but it would take so long that all he would have left would be the flayed men and maybe another unit. I would try to target the commander with Drogo, but it didn't always work that way. Hmm. Uh, so, well, I'm looking forward to trying this list out myself. Did you get to play on the second day as well? Yes, I did. So, you know, and Brett here, uh, you, I know obviously you had to play on the second day as well. Brett, Brett, what was the what was the vibe like on the second day? Everybody was incredibly excited. I think the premise of the first day was for everybody to kind of knock the rust off, maybe experiment with their list that they were thinking about running just to give them a try, you know, against who was there and, and you know, that competitive kind of atmosphere. But day two, it was like everybody was laser focused. I won't... It, it's not that it was unfriendly, right? Because it, the whole entire mood of the entire event was incredibly friendly. But yeah, uh, you know, I was making some jokes at people. I sat down next to Craig when we were filling out our list to turn into Robert, like our official lists. And I sat down next to Craig and put my arm around him. And I was like, hey, I'm filling out this list, but I don't want to fail this test. Can I copy off of yours? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there was a little bit of humor going on. And uh, 
Robert and Adam were like super fun and super upbeat the whole day. Um, and that's Robert Fulkerson, the head of the Song of Ice and Fire organized play team. And then Adam Lovell, who I think now is like the vice president of, of sales, I think, at CMON. He's been moving I, up today. I know when the game first came out, I think he was in a different position. Uh, he's he's climbed his way up the ladder. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it was really, really cool for him to make the trip um, to come to Indy. I know that he's got a personal relationship with Shane. So that was really cool that he made the trip, not just for the U.S. Nationals, but um, after the event, you know, he and Shane and Robert were having dinner in the back of the store. So just really cool to see that kind of interaction with a, a local store owner and and some of the Simon brass, some of the higher ups in the company. But they seemed incredibly excited for the event. Um, they were excited to see, you know, the models for their game on the table. They were walking around to the tables, you know, kind of making jokes at people, taking jabs at people here and there and <laughs> seeing what seeing what was going on in the game. Um, Robert walked over when I did an orbital strike with awful NCU on Dakota's poor red cloaks and robert walks over and he sees me you know claim the the wealth zone and then six models are removed and he's like what just happened and you know he's looking at the board he sees you know the free attack is open and i was like i shot him he's like you don't even have archers it's like yeah i shot him with awful he was like oh my god he was like where did that shot come from i "I think awful shot him from the wall man (laughs) but the orbital cannon on the wall just you know (laughs) goodbye so what, but, what list did you run for, for nationals then? What were you rolling out with? Um, I ran a Night's Watch pairing. And um, interestingly enough, similar to Craig, who teched for Night's Watch, Craig and I talked a lot going into this event. And, you know, I was I had been running um, double crossbows. I ran it to that um, Northern Realms Gaming number two, the energy event. And it did pretty well. But, and, you know, I was talking to Craig about it. I was like, this list is really tough to play. You know, Bob and I have kind of played it a whole bunch of times. And we think there's very few things that can beat it. And Craig was like, I beat it all the time. I was like, whoa, wait a minute now. <laughs> and then he gets to telling me and and he kind of put the fear of God in me. I was like, you know what? <laughs> He's right. Like you put the Harakars behind. The first instinct is to either activate a unit of crossbows or spend the relentless order because the maneuver zone has been taken. It's, well, I'll just turn around and shoot you and then no not if i put barristan sell me on them you spend your order and then uh well i guess you could spend the order and then activate but if he put sell me down on the horse and you try to spend your order to turn around then sell me would block it mm-hmm. and then you have to spend your activation to turn around if you spend your activation to turn around then you don't have any way to shoot them so um there's definitely some counterplay with dropping harakars behind that list but the scariest thing about that is that list entirely hinges on the conscript staying alive to heal your elite units because you're running paper thin crossbows right they have to be healed by the conscripts craig's army can get to the conscript he doesn't even really have to care about the crossbows that much he can put some threats in front of them like what he's saying with the suiciding harakars he can send harakars to tie you up force you to retreat waste your activation make you spend the order to shoot the harakars and he can just go hunt conscripts and so i was like you know what there's a lot of stuff that can just go hunt conscripts and this is just a PSA and uh, take it for what you will, because I, I've said it on the Facebook page a lot and it's always easier said than done. But the PSA for beating Night's Watch is you kill the conscripts. Right. And, and you, you still got to get- execute, right? Like, and there, but that's part of the game, right? Now, this is what's so cool is like there's, the, there's like a meta maybe that develops. 
And then you have people that like develop a counter to the meta. Yeah. And now we're going to see like other people out there are going to be like, hmm, like how do I shut down this uh, rocker, uh, you know, two outriders, Drogo flayed men list? Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the answer for Night's Watch is you've got some mobility. You've got Ranger trackers. They're still a really solid support unit, but at five plus defense, five plus morale, uh, and they're not very good in melee. They're not exactly the best unit to go intercept enemy cavalry. They're not exactly the best body blockers for your crossbows. You know, a unit to stand in front of the crossbows, like, get past me. And um, it's like, I really want some mobility. So I did conscripts with Othel, which is pretty standard for me and I think a lot of people with an Othel list. One unit of conscripts supporting and healing. One unit of builder crossbowmen with a Night's Watch captain. And then a unit of flaydmen. And then as far as the NCUs go, generally I run this list with two NCUs. It's just Peter Baelish and Jayor. And that works perfectly fine with the double crossbow build. In this build, I wanted to experiment with a third NCU. I very easily could have just added some watch recruiters to the conscripts and made even more healing. Or I could have gone with a... Another T support piece, like I could have even put a third ranged unit, you know, Stormcrow Archers, because I freed up two points by taking the Flademen. But I chose Corrin Halfhand NCU for a couple of reasons. Number one, Corrin's new reworked ability, he did go up to six points, but he got some buffs as well, right? Uh, they they had a look at him in the in the kind of the 2020 or in the 1.6 meta. And I think they said, you know, Corrin was probably a little bit too good at four points. Let's bump his points up, but they gave him an addition. Corrin Halfhand can now influence a cavalry unit, and he could not do that before. Oh. <laughs> cavalry unit, he can influence Flaidmen as well. And optionally, you can drop him on your builder crossbowmen, allow them to march 12 to get into position, and then they'll have one more dice on top of the dice that the watch captain gives you on top of the dice that honed enhancement gives you so you can really chuck a lot of dice with these builder crossbowmen a lot of the game i was throwing nine dice nine dice with sundering they're either hitting on twos or they're hitting on threes if you have the money let me start over because this train came back in. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm trying to get away from it. And I, it's the corn half-hand hype train, man. You're getting me pumped. The train noise is going in the background. I'm like totally feeling this. <laughs> it keeps coming back. And I can't escape it. It's actually louder out of the top. Right, so let's just set the scene here. Uh, so Brett's at home. He's in the model trains. He's in the middle of the room. And this train's just circling around him. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the corn train. <laughs> <laughs> but, Someone's yeah. got to make a sculpt of this. Let's put him on a train. <laughs> Anyhow, sorry to interrupt. No, it's um, fine. So, <laughs> so a lot of the game, Corn, I was throwing nine dice with the crossbows. They start with six. Watch Captain puts them up to seven. Hone Enhancement, when you control the money bag, puts them up to eight. Corn Half Hand puts them up to nine. That is a ton of sundering hits. That's like... When you're hitting on twos, it can be Knights of Castle Rock charge number of sundering hits. Except for I'm not engaged with you. <laughs> you have to get to me to take me out. So I was like, yeah, a six-point NCU, it's really expensive. But of course, you always have the Corrin half-hand sacrifice as well. So this was a play that I thought, you know, I really don't want to kill Corrin. I will if I have to, but I don't want to. I, I like his influence. I'm paying six points happily just for his influence because of the nature of the Night's Watch units. But most importantly, I wanted that unit with mobility and I wanted that nat that defense that the played men have, that three plus defense. Because I'm like, if if I need to intercept enemy cavalry and I can't get the jump on them, what I can do 
is I can move March the Flayed Men because of Offal's influence or Corrin's influence. I can move like a Dothraki and I can just park right in front of my crossbows and block them out of a front charge. Because if I cover more than 50% of my tray, they can't align to 50%, so they can't charge me. This hmm. keeps this keeps Caldrell from coming in and killing my watch captain. But most importantly, it keeps the crossbows kind of moving around. But the next tech piece that the flayed men bring is they have intimidating presence, as Craig's already alluded to. Uh, and we talked about it in the Joffrey podcast. Now, yeah. you, can give, you can give your builder crossbowmen vicious. So you tie something up with the flayed men, and then you shoot into that combat with the builder crossbowmen when they have serrated enhancement. And now instead of just a negative two panic test, it's a negative three. And they're taking the extra wound if they fail. Now, the downside is that your flayed men are susceptible to the panic test because they don't like you shooting into their combat. And it was interesting because in my final game with Cyrus, we both had flayed men. So I was shooting into his combat and it's like, yeah, panic test at negative three for your flayed men, D3 plus one if you fail. And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, your flayed men are taking a, a negative one as well because they're engaged with my flayed men. It's like, oh, man, so much intimidation out here. <laughs> But we both had counter intimidation. Exactly. And we both had phenomenal panic dice to start the game. Neither one of us would fail. I mean, he was passing his nines. I was passing my sevens and we weren't doing any panic damage to each other. And it was like just a a battle of tankiness until later, (laughs) until later in the game. And then Roos had had enough of that. But we can get to that later. He had a very interesting Roos list and I'm really afraid of Roos now. Well, before we get to Roos, so, you know, Dario uh, Naharis, you were running him as your, uh, the reckless mercenary, that attachment. Now, how did he shape up in your list? It sounded like we had talked a little bit before the show that maybe that was a last minute addition. You know, what role did he end up playing in your victory? Okay. So yes, three of the four times I ran the Jon Snow list. Initially, I was going to run with what I would call my quote unquote safe list. It's a unit of Ranger, Ranger Hunters with Jon Snow. And then it's backed up by a second unit of Ranger Hunters with the Watch Captain. That gives you the extra activation. It gives you a whole bunch more attacks. And then combined with Jon Snow's for the Watch card, you can potentially charge, retreat, charge, retreat, charge. No, not another charge, but you can make another attack, whether it's a ranged or a melee attack because of the watch captain. Or you can just be super mobile with the watch captain's free maneuver. I got to thinking and I was like, man, I, I've i got one unit of crossbows that brings Sundering to my army. And I was like, I really think maybe Sworn Brothers aren't being played as much as maybe as much as they should. I think people are favoring ranger hunters and builder crossbowmen right now. It's like, but sworn brothers are no slouches. So I'm combing through what attachments I can put in sworn brothers. And I landed on Dario. And I think Dario's downside where he takes a one for wounds that he Mm -hmm. or for hits that he makes kind of scares people away from him. But I was like, you know what? I have for the watch with John, which can be a free charge off of the swords or the maneuver zone. And then the sworn brothers have their order that they can use after I'm engaged to give me reroll. I see no downside to running Dario in this unit because hypothetically, if I play the board right, if I play both the field board and position him correctly, and if I play the tactics board correctly, he should attack t- twice in a round. And he should have rerolls both times, and one of them he gets a free vulnerable token. That's a lot sundering critical blow precision hits that an enemy's taking. I'm not sure that there's much in the game that can stand up to those two hits. And that's exactly what ended up happening. I mean, I figured it would be good, but I was amazed at just how good it was. Like, Dario was just blowing everything up. He took a few wounds for the cause, but he just... 
Oh, he just was vaporizing. I mean, it's critical blow, sundering, and precision with the Sworn Brother seven attack dice, and you can make that eight with Sword in the Darkness. It's just crazy amounts of damage that he puts out. And I literally changed it the night before. I was sitting at the table with Dakota. I had my Rangers literally packed up, and I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm running Dario. I don't care. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it. You don't get the the same flexibility as you do with the watch captain, but I'm just gonna do it. The worst that can happen is I lose, right? <laughs> and I'm like, come on, Dakota, help me find Dario. So we so went up into the hobby room and and you dug him out. So was he also an inspiration, uh, partially for your your uh, dress for the day? Because uh, I saw there was uh, some pictures there, and you were uh, going suns out, guns out, and sandals here. Was that a a Dario thing or going some Sunday slaughter? What was the inspiration there? A little bit of Sunday slaughter <laughs> and and some Dario, yeah, maybe a little bit of Dario. And yeah, uh, think, Craig, were you inspired or anything? Uh, are you going to start going no sleeves for tournament events? I might have to. It worked for him. I, I think that's the current meta. I'm just putting it out there. It seems to be. I thought I it was like cold, like colder where you guys are. I feel like, uh, are you people the kind of people that wear like you know shorts and stuff all year round? It's- oh, I 100% <laughs> wear shorts until. <laughs> It has to get below zero for me to to wear anything but shorts. That's that's a real thing. Oftentimes it's t-shirts and tank tops too, until it gets below zero. It it like it has to be incredibly cold for me to wear jackets or pants. So so maybe starting with Craig. So you know, as the day goes on and you're playing in tournament events, do you feel that like pressure building after you like win a match and then you're going to the next table and it's like, oh no man, I won this one. And then like, you know, as things escalate, do you like feel that pressure as you're playing? Or are you the kind of people that like when you start playing, you're kind of just in, fully absorbed in the match uh both i feel the pressure in between the games oh uh, gotcha yep uh usually you know, i'm only running seven activations and i'm running really fast lists so my games usually don't last the full time one way or another so i usually have extra time between games to sit there and stew who am i playing next who's it gonna be however i had a new experience this past weekend in that i ran into mod uh yesterday morning uh, oh jeez. and i actually and not to take anything away from him he's a great player and and he won so I'm not going to take anything away from him, but I, I had him. I had all three of his dragons isolated by themselves. I had two of them uh, almost dead. Um, all of them were engaged. And I do a flank charge with Sundering with the Harakars. On one of them, he only had two wounds left. And with rerolls, I only get three hits. He needs six to save. He saves two out of three. Oh. Survives. If he doesn't make that roll, I now have an unengaged and uh, unactivated unit behind his other almost dead dragon. So I should have been able to wipe that dragon. And then I've got five cavalry units on the table versus pikemen and one dragon at the end of round two. However, I whiffed on the charge. And the game ended up going the other way. I couldn't recover from that. And that's so the dice after, gods, right? You know, just yes. So after losing round one, which is uh, not not to toot my own horn, but it's kind of new to me. Um, <laughs> I actually felt more pressure than if I had won because I'm like, okay, I won yesterday, and I back it out up by coming out and losing. So I don't want to invalidate what I did yesterday. So I actually felt more pressure. To, to win, but not only to win, to climb back up the rankings, but I felt like I can't just win because I won't score enough points. I have to table people at this point. So I actually felt more pressure. Then you're really, after, yeah. After losing. Yeah. Oh, so you kind of felt like you're kind of painted into a corner there. Absolutely. Brett, how about you? Are you kind of, uh, as the day goes on, does that pressure build or are you kind of absorbed in your individual matches? It's, it's actually funny that you ask because... <laughs> 
as I've mentioned, I don't know if I've told you on the podcast or just told you via PMs, but I'm like an honorary member of uh, the Gamers Haven crew. So I have this live chat going with uh, Wildcard Carl, Dakota, Chris Tran, and Bob Omer. And <laughs> these guys will verify what I'm telling you. I am such like a hypochondriac about games. Like uh, any match that I'm playing, like if you talk to me, like if, if you catch me outside, like how do you feel about your match? Every single match, it's, oh, it's my worst possible match. <laughs> like I'm so screwed this game. What am I gonna do? He he has stuff, and they're like, um, okay. So I'm like, oh no, like I'm totally screwed. <laughs> like I, do, my I first, do the same thing. My first game, I drew Targaryens. I played Chad Wallace, and I was like, oh my god. It's like I literally sat and helped Chad make these lists. I don't want to play this. Like I knew <laughs> that he was running Grey Worm Commander with Danny the Unburnt and a dragon, and I was like, yeah. So. I tipped him off to the potential triple tap with a dragon, and now I have to play it. And, of course, you know, going into the game, he pulled he pulled the combo. He rear-charged me with a dragon. He had issue commands. He attacked me again. He had Danny the Unburnt. He attacked me again. The only mistake Chad made was he had an opportunity to go destroy the conscripts with the dragon. He killed one unit, and instead of going and cutting off the lifeline of the army and killing the second conscript... He went right into Dario, but I had the ability to heal him back after the dragon attacks. Oh. So I was very, very, very fortunate as well that his D3 showed a 1 every time the dragon attacked. So I was able to heal Dario up enough to have an impact on the dragon. But it was pretty scary. And then the next round, after kind of dodging a bullet with Chad, I, uh, I ended up playing Chris. Chris Bloom, who was playing MOD. And it was Here We Stand. <laughs> I think I think I told Craig too. I was like, I, I lost. I was like, I, there's no way I can beat dragons, and here we stand. There's just no way they they come back to life. He can be in any board quarter that he wants to be, but I just, I mean, the Dario thing happened. It, it's just incredible. Like I hit him once. He played Fire Made Flesh, kept the dragon alive. The top of the round, I get the re rolls and the marble token, so I popped a dragon very early. Um, and then from there, John was able to take out a dragon, and then of course they kept coming back to life but at that point i had the liberty to spread my army out because he had a dragon that was dead i spread the army out and i started claiming the board quarters so i played a little aggression i killed two dragons total and then after that i pretty much just played the mission to close the game out but i was pretty fortunate there so third match was dakota uh the joffrey list and oh you know, fantastic <laughs> yeah and so he is that, knew is that a good thing or a bad thing though when you play into a list we are like, I've thought about this particular list a lot. I feel like maybe that's a little pressure on Dakota now being like, oh no, I got to run this into Brett. Well, he and I both knew it was, yeah. it, was it, came, it came down to one charge. So in case you're not getting at the general consensus of this conversation is that my games, sometimes the scores don't reflect what really happened inside of a game. Mm -hmm. But now I'm reinforcing that by telling you the scores don't reflect what happened in the game. Dakota got an opportunity. He, I, I put Dario out because Dakota was kind of defensive and it was fire and blood, so he was playing defensively so that he could throw victory points, and then he was just going to come in with the flayed men and finish a unit off. You know, he was going to panic me with red cloaks, send the flayed men in, get a kill. So I had to aggressively come after him. 
And I put Dario up, and I knew the Flayed Men were coming. I was like, it's going to be fine. I have Shield of the Realms of Men. I have Fire That Burns Against the Cold. I should survive this hit. Even if he has I Am the King, there's no way he has two counterplots. So Dakota charges, and he's like, we're going to decide the game right here. (laughs) I was like, okay. He rolled a one. And I felt Uh, so terrible because he had in his hand, he had You Will Obey Me. He had both counterplots. So assuming that he doesn't fluff the counterplot rolls, I have no Shield of the Realms of Men to bolster my defense. And I have no fire that burns to help me against that panic test. And the Flayed Men were actually in my flank because I kind of took a gamble and, and offered him my flank to get him to come in because I had those two defensive cards and I was banking on him not having two counterplots. So, like, I keep telling Dakota it was the one heard around the world because that disorderly charge not only stopped him from playing I am, uh, You Will Obey Me, it actually stops him from counterplotting as well. So, essentially, his Flayedman bounced off of me because of those two cards that I had that he could have counterplotted. So it was really, really unfortunate, but we even mucked it, you know, like a, a fake roll. I was like, well, after we resolve this... Let's just see what would have happened if you'd rolled anything but a one. And of course, oh, no, that clean. almost makes it worse when you're like, yeah, this could well, have been a real possibility. Like, <laughs> we, had, we, we had to know. And of course, the flayed men literally just one shotted the Sworn Brothers. Did That's there was, why, uh, I, I died. He, he counterplotted shield, counterplotted. I failed my panic test. It was over. They died. Next time you're uh, preparing for an event and Dakota's at your place the night before, he's not going to help you find your Dar- Dario Naharis. <laughs> then when you're like, where is it? He's going to be like, ah, I remember. <laughs> he's like, I'm not helping you find it. Go to bed. We don't, <laughs> no, that's not don't Dakota. Need, Dakota, of course not. You don't need Dario. You don't need any tech pieces. Just just run the... Run that list you found on the internet. You'll be fine. So, you know, obviously you guys had a lot of success. I can tell by your energy that this is a lot of fun. Are you guys like jazzed to play more A Song of Ice and Fire going forward? How, how are you feeling about the general state of the game? Craig, how about you first? Yeah, I'm actually uh, really happy with it. I'm starting to adjust to 1.7 now. There's still some things I missed from before, but I do like uh, I do like the new version of the game. Um, all the stuff coming out looks amazing. Uh, there's rumors that there's a lot more stuff that's going to be coming, but I don't know. And uh, I think that once this COVID thing is passed, that uh, the game is going to explode again. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're already seeing, you know, I, the game is definitely on the rise. And we're seeing a lot more content creators jump on board. I don't know if you guys saw, but Scott, the Miniature Maniac, put out a video about how A Song of Ice and Fire is his favorite game right now. And uh, that was really cool. So I think, you know, as we start to claw back, I know some places are back to normal. I know some places are still struggling with a lot of the COVID issues. You know, I think this is going to be a good, maybe I say year, that goes to January, but like, you know, the the next 12, 16 months, I think might be really strong for this game. And Brett, how are you feeling about things? You you got to walk away with a hammer, right? So how are you feeling about A Song of Ice and Fire, the general state of the game at this point? Well, technically the hammer is going to hang up at uh, Family Time Games because we're working on this league. We got three new league players this weekend. We got some local guys to turn up and commit to the league. So I'm super excited about building that indie league again and representing indie in bigger numbers at tournaments moving forward. So that little bit is very exciting to me. But um, in person, A Song of Ice and Fire has inspired me so much. Uh, and of course, my friends uh, at Gaver's Haven, you know, chatting with them every day. And I'm going to kind of formally drop this as a bomb for people who don't know. Uh, Gamers Haven, I, th- I think at least at least Carl, Dakota, Bob, and I are going to LVO. Nice. So I'm super excited because I've missed it the other times. 
uh, I believe it had already happened when I um, started in 2019. It didn't happen in 2020, or maybe it did, but I couldn't get out there. But 2021 LVO, we are coming. Uh, we're showing up. We're gonna we're gonna do the thing. I don't know what I'm gonna play. Uh, I get in trouble with the community when I promise to run something and then change my mind at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> I would really like to do something. Not Night's Watch, not Lannister. I'll say that. Well, I you would know, like to. I could I suggest like a to. faction, um, <laughs> but I think people might know what I suggest. Craig, what are you? What are your thoughts on Free Folk, incidentally? Uh, actually, locally here, they haven't uh, been played yet in 1.7. At least, no one you, I've played. You know what you could do? You could be a trailblazer. And you can start playing free folk. And like, you know, what a great switch from, um, you know, your super fast mobile targs. And, you know, Brett, I think it's inspiring hearing Craig. I could hear him at least there thinking about that, entertaining idea. You know, Craig's thinking about free folk. Brett, maybe uh, maybe LVO's got to be a free folk time here. I don't know. I think you know just, Brett. Yeah, you right? This is, this is how right. we vote on it right now. I mean, we could, but. Right. but <laughs> I'm doing it. He doesn't it. make any predictions, though. Uh, write it down. Write it down. Uh, 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 Every, everybody who's listening to Chase, write uh, it down. <laughs> I am taking free folk to LVO 2021. Oh, all right. <laughs> well then, oh, man, I can't believe it's that easy. No, I just, I just got to get like, what if I just, just one on one every person in the community? Hey, listen, man, I'm here to talk to you about free folk. Let's. Uh, um, well, I don't. I'm excited to see what you do with it. Uh, and if you change your mind, don't worry. You know, we'll still love you. You can. Uh, no, I'm doing you it. Can, uh, I'm all doing right. it. I love it. I love okay. it. Can I introduce you to my, our Lord and Savior, the Lord of Bones? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I can see you liking him. You're talking about all the uh, those panic effects. Uh, what was it? Inspiring? Uh, not inspiring presence. Intimidating presence. Of that. Intimidating presence. <laughs> to me, it's inspiring, but uh, intimidating to others, perhaps. Yes. Lord of Bones. All right. This is it. Okay. Well, now I'm jazzed here. Well, you know, and I'm glad to hear that you guys had so much fun. It sounded like an amazing event. And, uh, you know, there are probably some people listening to this who don't have the opportunity or maybe have been hesitant about attending events. You know, safety aside, sometimes they can be intimidating to jump in on. And, and I love how for this event and for Seaman Organized Play here, they had kind of the, the day one event and then they had the national event. If someone was, you know, thinking about jumping in and, and giving a tournament a shot, and maybe they ha don't have a lot of experience with that. What any advice you might give them? I mean, honestly, um, you have to give the benefit of doubt that everybody in this community is in this game to have fun. And I haven't met a single person in any of the travels that I've made, any of the guys that have come from other communities and come to Indy. There's been no incident where somebody was there to do anything but have fun. Every single person that I've played with, seen, been to an event with was great. So you got to get kind of kind of to get over that hump. You have to go back to those roots and remember, like, hey, everybody's here to have fun. Only one person gets to win the event. Obviously, everybody wants to win. Right. It's it gets into my head, too. But at the end of the day, just don't be nervous to show up, play, have fun, show your abilities. Maybe you'll pick up something new from somebody else. Maybe you'll teach somebody something new, but just go out and have fun. Just go out and have fun, meet some different people from other communities, and just roll some dice. All right, Craig, I feel bad now. If you go second here, that Brett hit a lot of the big things in the head. You're gonna, are you gonna take a contrarian position, be like, no fun, like there is only driving your enemies before them. That is kind of how I play. <laughs> More lions, that's what it takes. <laughs> yes. uh, but, but no, I he, I agree with him. I've never been to an event that was that was unpleasant. That there, I haven't run into unpleasant people. 
Um, in other games, sometimes you see that where people are a little little bit too much in, into winning at all costs. But this is a really fun community. So it doesn't matter if you're 0-4 or 4-0, you're, you're going to have fun. It's worth it. So with that being said, you know, we'll maybe start to wrap things up here. Any any shout outs you guys want to give? Any friends at home or local stores or or uh, things like that? So Robert, on his on his way out of the Nationals uh, 2021, Robert mentioned that... Um, so Sean and I tried to secure a booth and a spot at Gen Con 2021 to play A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, he and I actually, and more so him, kind of reached out on, on a more personal level and, and put up some money and, and things like this to reserve the spot. Unfortunately, with some of the things that have been going on with the Indianapolis, um, you know, their way of dealing with COVID right now, they wouldn't give us a solid answer. Um, so we kind of had to back out of it because we didn't really get the spot reserved because of generally, I guess the idea is they're just not sure what they're going to do at Gen Con. So Robert had asked us about that. And then um, he decided to go ahead and sponsor Gen Con 2021 at Shane's store. So Shane's store was already a pop-up Gen Con. So on Saturday, he's expecting a lot of traffic from the Gen Con goers. Um, but Shane is actually working out the details now. Um, and expect an announcement by the end of tonight or tomorrow at the latest for what day we're going to do Gen Con. But there is a Gen Con event at Shane's place. It is sponsored by Simon, uh, and you can expect the same prizes and generosity that that he's shown for the Nationals 2021. And then the other shout out, I that UKGT is coming up really soon. So You'll definitely, if you're interested in the competitive community and another tournament that's going on that's pretty big, you'll want to follow along the UKGT, support your favorite house, your favorite player. Definitely, it's a it's a bigger event, so it's it's really cool to see what the guys overseas are doing as well. And Craig, how about you? Well, you know, first I got to thank my mom. And, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> my superior genetics. <laughs> No, uh, I want to. I want to thank Simon and the guys they had there. It, it was a really fun event, um, and then Shane for allowing them to host it in his building. Uh, and then another one is Chris Tran from Sunday Slaughter. He's always there uh, filming and stuff like that. He's a great opponent, and he always puts out uh, really good, uh, really good battle reports. And absolutely. You know, not only is he trying to compete, he's also trying to film other people's games and battle reports. So he, you know, he, he's such a big part of the community. So I just want to shout that out too. Absolutely. Such a good dude. I know he's given me some camera tip advice as well and supported us through Patreon. You know, big fan, love his content. I think he's got probably the, some of the best footage out there. Uh, his videos are fantastic. And, you know, I think that kind of speaks to the the community that we have, right? You know, I think as far as communities out there, I know Sony West Fire might be smallish compared to some some other uh, systems out there, but I, I think we got the best community. So here's to that. And I'm excited for uh, to see where things go from here. And I'm glad that Nationals was such a huge success. And, you know, here's the more CMON organized play. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's listening. And in the meantime, I hope we get your miniatures on the table.